0: this. You're in a film set in space, but instead of a green screen and having to pretend you're seeing the galaxy comets and spaceships, you actually see the galaxy comets and spaceships, all without ever having to leave the studio. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, digital screens and the future of filming. <laughs> The tech is amazing
1: because it allows you to do things that even if you were on location, you couldn't control to that degree. I was immediately
0: struck by just the quality of light as opposed to a stage with blue screens or green screens. You're immediately in that environment.
2: It's pretty wild. It's um, We're just starting to kind of scratch the surface of how uh, virtual production is really going to change our industry. It's really disruptive.
0: The University of Canterbury has announced a whopping $97 million new digital screen campus, the first of its kind in Australasia. So how does this technology work in filming and gaming? And why is it so revolutionary?
1: You know, eventually we may get into filming a scene with two actors
0: that are not actually in the same place. And later, the impact on our film
2: industry. How is New Zealand going to adapt its film industry to compete when uh, real locations are are suddenly no longer in demand?
0: Andy Thalps is the program director for the University of Canterbury's new digital screen campus. He starts by explaining how digital screens are used in filming.
1: It's one of those things, hearing about it is not as easy as just watching it work or seeing it. Um, The idea is that you've either filmed a location or you've got a virtual scene of of, uh, creation or both blended together. Um, And what you do is you sort of build a ring of screens... And then you film your action and your actors in front of those screens and it is if they are present, right? So that's a technique called virtual production, which is one of the many, many elements that make up this idea of screen when we talk about the digital screen campus.
0: Why is there a kind of move into using digital screens instead when I guess traditionally people might think of like the green screen?
1: So, you know, green screens are great if you want to, um, if, you, if you've got some existing footage and you can stick somebody in front of it and, and then sort of drop them out, right? We've probably all experienced even in our, our Zoom lives, right, where uh, all of a sudden you want to try to get better lighting and you want to try to get this and that. And, and uh, mm-hmm. it's very common in, in sort of like when you put sort of like a fake Zoom background behind yourself. The lighting and stuff for that background doesn't really match the lighting that you're in in your room, you could very easily tell, right, that this is a superimposed person on top of this this thing. What people do in virtual production, because there's this ring of, of screens and because those screens are actually calibrated to give off certain amounts of light from the scenes that they're projecting, there's really, really detailed ways, first of matching all of the lighting and where the sound is coming from and all of these different kinds of things to really, really immerse somebody in there. And then the, the second thing that happens is we can also render in uh, CGI directly into that and, and control the, the angles that we're looking at and and move the scenery um, either with the actor or against the actor. Uh, so there's lots of different ways to use that technology and, it's, ironically, it's the same technology uh, that we use a lot in 3D video games. So un, uh, products like Unreal Engine or Unity 3D um, where that, that grew out of the game space and are now uh, increasingly used within the film and virtual production space as well.
0: And that includes big blockbusters. We're talking the likes of upcoming Marvel movie Thor Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Waititi, the new Batman film due to be released next month.
2: Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call.
1: It's a warning.
0: George Clooney's 2020 sci-fi Netflix production, The Midnight Sky.
1: Come in, Ether. This is Barbo Observatory. Are you receiving this? Is anyone out there?
0: Television series are also getting in on the action. Disney's The Mandalorian was one of the first major productions to use digital screen technology.
1: You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers?
0: This is the way. And soon to be released on Netflix, the German multilingual period mystery series 1899 also jumped on the bandwagon. Hello. What happened to you? The series had been in prep since 2018 and was set to be shot in a number of different locations. But the pandemic hit and the period drama pivoted to virtual production.
1: The technology has actually been kind of bubbling up for for a really long time. And in today's world, it's the thing that is, is getting new studios built is virtual production because everyone is excited about being able to do more within their given studio than just the things that are around it and just the things that they can build sets for.
0: How do games fit into this?
1: Part of it is, is just the raw technology. The way we make video games in 3D video game engines and the technology that we use for virtual production is those are increasingly uh, overlapping, right? And so you know, building a, uh, a 3D model for something in a game and using it in a video game where you that's a part of the world that you're playing in and using that, those models in the backdrop of a, of a film set now, kind of happen interchangeably.
0: What is the benefit of using digital screens in filming or or gaming as opposed to more traditional um, forms?
1: So, I mean, some of the benefits are are pretty obvious. If you have the footage, you can film mm-hmm. somebody in a place that they're not in, and that it's expensive to go and take a whole film crew and and all of that kind of stuff, and that it may be very difficult to get, you know, your actors and and the stuff that you need in, in, you know, onset and all that kind of stuff. And you could, you know, digitally model an environment that doesn't even exist and film them there as well. Uh, So from that perspective, there's, you know, reduction of travel, there's reduction of on-site, there's, you know, all those kinds of things. But I think there's also, you know, some benefits um, just in terms of exploring, you know, what's possible. I mean, we're we're at the very beginning of what we think could be done with these kinds of things. And you know, eventually we may get into filming a scene with two actors that are not actually in the same place. I think there's some easy, low-hanging fruit uses of it now. They're, they're not easy to do, but they're they're easy to understand, which is you can drop people into places that they're not currently. You can add special effects and, and uh, computer-generated imagery into those backgrounds very, very simply, those kinds of things. But over time, I think we'll see a, a whole range of other uh, potential uses uh, for these kinds of things.
0: Canterbury University is making waves in the film and gaming industry with a $97 million digital screen campus.
2: The first of its kind in Australasia, the facility will cash in on the booming gaming and film industries to lead the next generation into the future.
1: It'll have some stages uh, to do you know, some, some more traditional film. It'll have some some green screen. It'll have some sound studios, some recording studios. It'll have some colour correction studios, some screening rooms, some game development labs, uh, some editing suites, you know, a large theatre for uh, for music recording.
0: And I'm assuming it'll also have digital screens, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're working on that. We, we just did a, a pilot project with Cerebral Fix and, so, and some other friends we brought some in and we used them for a while. and we, uh, They shot a film there. But that technology is changing so rapidly that we didn't want to invest in digital screens yet until we have the, the physical construction of the place put together. Right. Um, because they'll probably be different by then. We're in a process now of kind of re-exploring that and going back and, and looking at exactly what we're going to do there.
0: So why now?
1: We're really seeing... This convergence between games and film and and virtual reality and augmented reality and and the way that we consume things on multiple different screen formats and, and all of these things—it's you know this is a moment in time where we're really recognizing all of those things and it's making it possible to think about educating the next generation how we need to prepare them for work in this space
0: because all overlapping technologies aren't just for filming and gaming.
1: And the folks that, that we talk to uh, are really excited to tell stories, uh, to make digital media entertainment, and also to, to do things that are not just focused on entertainment, right? To use these things for maybe for education, maybe for science, maybe for health, uh, maybe for uh, you know communication. So there's lots of different Avenues that folks can go and use these skills, and, and they recognize that in a very sort of real world scenario. We turn around and another project at the lab is using for those technologies to help train uh, Olympic athletes. You know, letting them practice when they're not, uh, you know, out on a course uh, and stuff like that. So and to learn a course really well before they go out and practice for it, because uh, they can, you know, use it in a 3D world space. Uh, before before they're actually doing it live. So lots of different ideas you know that folks are are researching right now. And another one uh, that just popped into my head was uh, you know, like telemedicine, right? and using these things for surgeons to to train on, right? or for uh, you know augmented information uh, while they're in the midst of a procedure. So there's, lots of different ways that all of these things are starting to kind of mash up and intersect. And I think that that's what has us so so keen to really get in there and, and explore a lot of these things.
0: The new campus is expected to take until 2025 to be fully built and will be the first of its kind in Australasia. It will have a strong commercial focus.
1: Obviously there are, you know, there are several commercial studios that have these kinds of facilities and there are, Other universities that have different aspects of them, I think what we're shooting for is somewhat unique in that it marries a commercial facility directly with an academic talent production pipeline. In terms of really integrating that and thinking holistically around screen,
2: we think we're first in Australasia, yeah. It's going to completely change the way we make films, for better or worse. It might make us make better films, but it's going to change the whole economy around those films.
0: Simon Waterhouse is the managing director of Resonate, a production company based in Christchurch.
2: We work predominantly in commercials, so we do advertising and corporate storytelling, but most recently have become quite interested in virtual production and have helped form a team of like-minded businesses um, to build a um, a working prototype uh, virtual production volume. Uh, we were successful in basically building uh, quite a large uh, LED volume in the second week of January this year and shot two short films in it in five days they're five minute shorts so we we shot about ten minutes of script or twelve minutes of scripts in, in five days.
0: What did you think when you first saw this most recent creation that you guys built work for the first time?
2: Well, I think we've been playing with virtual production for a while, but we never really fully understood what the production process would be like or what it would enable us to do until we got in there and started shooting. And actually, when we started shooting, we realized that the power of virtual production is is sort of only, we're only just sort of scratching the surface. People kind of think of virtual production as as a visual effects workflow. People think of it as a replacement for green screen but actually it can be a substitute for an entire location shoot. It does. It's not only restricted to kind of fantasy worlds and sci-fi, you could actually rebuild uh, a real location in 3D and shoot it as if you were on location. And, you know, the implications of that are, are, are obviously massive. Certainly from a production point of view, it makes a lot of sense because you've got total control over the location you yeah, there's no environmental sensitivities. The health and safety um, is much more manageable. Even just control of the light and the time of day, you can shoot a, a 10-hour sunset. Or, you know, you've got ultimate control over the location. You can move things around if you want to. So, certainly, when it comes to sort of mitigating risk, which is, you know, one of the major roles of a production company, it's um it's an amazing tool.
0: And this will have a huge impact on the New Zealand film industry, right?
2: Yeah, so I guess, um, and that was kind of one of the realisations that we had, is that, you know, if it's not just a visual effects workflow and it's a total replacement or a substitute for a location, then, you know, obviously it's got major ramifications for New Zealand's film industry, which is you know, historically largely been a, a location-based economy. You know, we've traded on Middle Earth for more than 20 years now. Mm.
0: Welcome to Middle Earth, my friend. I'm here to guide you on your journey. So cease your rebel rousing and listen very carefully.
2: It's been, uh, you know, measured in, in the billions in terms of economic benefits. So how is New Zealand going to adapt its film industry to, you know, compete when uh, real locations are, so, are suddenly no longer in demand? I think it's it's certainly something that I think is kind of hard to understand until you sort of see the power of what virtual production is and clearly where it's going to go. You know, the technology has just gone in leaps and bounds in the last two years alone, and another two to five years down the track, it's going to be quite, quite um, disruptive.
0: I mean, I'm just even thinking about the major productions that are now all using it, so like Thor Love and Thunder, the new Batman movie that's coming out, they use this stuff as well. Do you think there will be a push more and more into using this into the mainstream
2: absolutely i think it's it's going to be without doubt an integral part of any film industry infrastructure it may not be a total replacement for location um, production but i think it'll complement location production and there will be times when it will replace location production and you know there's The discussions I've had with people, there's this idea that, you know, you might still have a real location that you would go and send a a small unit to capture some wides and aerial shots and special shots. Um, But then you might have a technician create a a mega scan of that environment and then rebuild that location in 3D so it can be shot on a virtual stage and you'd shoot the rest of the scene. So say there's a a long dialogue scene and it makes more sense to have the control of a studio environment to shoot that um, scene. You could shoot that there and have it intercut with the real location seamlessly. So there's, there's a number of ways that technology can be applied. In our scripts, we had virtual locations that were sort of otherworldly. We, we shot in a Mars and Antarctica and, and locations that are physically impossible to shoot in. Mm. But that's actually probably the most obvious use of the technology, but I think it's the unobvious use of the technology where it's going to replace normal locations. And it might be that, you know, eventually when there's permanent... Um, LED studio infrastructure throughout the country or throughout the world, you'll just be able to pull up libraries of locations. Example for us is that we often need to shoot in houses for um, advertising. So wouldn't it be amazing if you can just pull up a a library of different house locations or apartments and different types of architecture and then you can customise that architecture and, and the art department inside that property, and then you can change a virtual view, the what you see out the windows of that property, and then you can change the light and the time of day and you can control all that. Mm. And um, there's no risk of damaging someone's property and having a location fee associated with that.
0: So then what are the questions for us here in New Zealand to be thinking about? And then what areas do we need to protect ourselves so that we don't have a situation where our locations are out there for everyone.
2: Yeah, so there's, there's two things there. Obviously, we've got an iconic uh, landscape that's appeared in dozens and dozens of amazing films. That's been what's brought productions to New Zealand as these incredible places to, to shoot and, and having high-quality screen infrastructure to to be able to produce high um, big-budget films here. But um, we need to consider how do we protect the location intellectual property to stop someone taking a mega scan of um, an iconic location and then reproducing that in a studio in LA or Budapest, you know? What are the laws that can protect or enable us to, um, to look after our location intellectual property? But with that said, if there's barriers to... Using uh, a New Zealand landscape um, in virtual production overseas, then what's to stop someone, a 3D artist designing a, a lookalike location? You know, something that's kind of like Queenstown Hill, with but not quite almost <laughs> the Remarkables, <laughs> but not quite. You know, so um, and you know, certainly we see that in production. Music is that often that there's um, people skirting copyright laws by making soundalikes that aren't quite like the original. But uh, sound in a similar genre or sound will remind remind the audience that it's um, potentially similar to a piece of music they might have heard before, but it's not quite, you know. So I think we're going to see the same things in, in location um, 3D assets on libraries in the future.
0: And so it, it's really about making sure our laws are up to scratch.
2: Yeah, well, is, is there even law there, you know, to protect it? And I, and I wonder if there is. I, I, I honestly can't speak to that myself. I'm not a lawyer, but not an expert on that. But um, I'd say that it's going to be a very interesting uh, interesting case at some stage.
0: Here's Andy Phelps again.
1: So firstly, there's the obligatory, I'm not a lawyer, I do not give advice and, and all, that, all that stuff. You know, I can't speak to what laws would govern any particular thing. This is why film studios have legal teams and... and all of that. What I can say is that it's it's very very complex, and it varies by project, by client, by um, you know the the rights that they signed when they agreed to film on a given location. Sometimes even the use of assets between teams or between films on given studios and and different projects. You know all of that kind of stuff, right? Uh, what the rights are for a given site, for whether or not that site contains or, you know, what it contains um you know whether or not it has any special designations as as historic or as as cultural or you know so it, it what i can say is that, is that you know there there's not a law right there there are you know probably you know reams of interlapping overlapping um all that kind of stuff right and mm. so you know you will see somebody that comes in and films in new zealand and uses that you know, in virtual production somewhere else. I'm sure that has already happened and will continue to happen. Um, but the transmissibility of all of that is is extremely complex uh, within the industry.
0: I uh, guess in a way, it seems like with the technology evolving so fast that the law might seem to be ca- trying to catch up with it.
1: Oh, I think we've definitely seen that. We've we've seen that in the game space for a long time. And just consider like the idea of like deep fakes, right? And and you know, the notion of of simulating somebody saying something that they didn't say and and you know, all of those things. We've uh, you know, the digital security folks have been talking about that for for a few years now, right? And you know, so I mean we definitely have this idea of the law is not out in front of the technology, the technology is a runaway train and and you know, everybody is, is catching up to it uh, to some extent.
2: It's interesting because a lot of pe- people have been talking about the technology and what it can do, but not actually how it's going to disrupt the film industry. I think, um, you know, there's lots of examples of technology disrupting industries, you know, like um, Uber, you know, um, world's largest taxi company doesn't own a single car, you know, um, and Airbnb, you know, and this is no different in that you know, um, it's going to completely change the way we make films for better or worse. It might make us make better films, but it's going to change the whole economy around those films.
0: That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand on Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to a mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Adrian Holley engineered this episode, Sarah Robson produced it, and thanks to Andy Phelps and Simon Waterhouse. Mate wa.